Welcome to the Retirement Clinic with your host, Jeff Kowal, from the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialists. And good morning, and thank you for joining us on WISM Milwaukee and WIBA in Madison. This is the Retirement Clinic. Your host, Jeff Kowal. We have a guest today, and Jeff's joining us remotely as well. Uh, if we have problems with the feed, Jeff, we might switch you to a phone, but we're, we're going to play that by ear because this is live radio. Good morning, Jeff Kowal. Good morning, Paul. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. And we also have Chuck Stansberry back on the show. Welcome back, Chuck. Good morning. Thanks for having me back, uh, Paul and Jeff. Great. It's great to have you back. And Jeff, I'm going to let you open the show and introduce Chuck and talk about today's topic. Sure. I'll talk about Chuck in just a second. He's with Schober, Schober and Mitchell, a good attorney. He's my personal attorney. Love the guy. Does great work. Uh, you know, you don't often hear honest and attorney in the same sentence, but I would <laughs> put Chuck. I hope those two together for Chuck. Um, I want to start with uh, just what happened in the markets this week. And you heard Bob Tarantino talk about how states are starting to revolt. And uh, Dow Jones Australia Average uh, is reflecting that. They've, it's stages just two week performance so if you, since the 1930s. So that's a dramatic rebound. Um, several states have moved to open their uh, states for business. Protests are scheduled in others. Uh, the Dow is up 2.2% this week and 15% over the past two weeks. Now, markets are still down more than 10%. The Dow and the S&P 500 are still down more than 10%. So if you're looking to rebuild your retirement, those are going to take positive action before looking at that. So uh, make sure you don't, you're not asleep at the wheel with that. With that, I want to introduce uh, Chuck Stansbury, uh, a state planning, business planning attorney with Schober, Schober, and Mitchell. They've got offices in New Berlin, Oconomowoc, and Racine. Um, a will is not enough, and uh, Paul, we're going to make this pretty much an entire sexy segment, wealth management and preservation, because if you have some wealth, you have to be careful with it, and that's why Chuck is here. Chuck, welcome. Thank you, Jeff. I hope uh, Arizona is treating you well with your extended stay down there. <laughs> it's it's a it's a tough life, but I'm somehow I'm enduring. It's a hard knock life. <laughs> hey, I have to say that today is Claire, my, my granddaughter's birthday too. So happy birthday to oh. Claire! It's her eighth, eighth birthday. birthday. <laughs> you got two beautiful uh, uh, gra- granddaughters. Uh, three. three. I'm sorry, Ella, three. Ella's almost two years old now. So good yeah, grief. We have Claire and Ella, and today Claire is. I know it. Time goes by so fast, and that's why when you're talking about even some of the things that we're talking about today, the market recovery, it goes by. In a blink of an eye, that that time goes by. Same thing with your estate planning. You have the best intentions to do it, and all of a sudden, it's a year or two later. Your kids grow up. You have complications in the family. Um, uh, Chuck, why don't you start talking about about that? This, this, this whole show is to be able to estate plan and planning for uh, the wealth that you accumulated. Sure. And, and I think, you know, the recent COVID-19 pandemic has really uh, highlighted the, the estate planning issues that can pop up. And at least I can speak from my end. I've had a lot of clients and perhaps it's because they have a lot of time on their hands now or perhaps they realize the, the seriousness of it. Um, you have a lot more people focusing on the estate planning 
And whether that's the incapacity issues, you know, healthcare decision making, financial power of attorney, if you're, um, you know, on lockdown for 14 days, or if you're in a hospital, um, and obviously on the on the issues in terms of what happens at death. So, you know, I've always been a proponent of of addressing estate planning very early, even for you know younger people once they you know reach uh, age 18. But I think again, with our current environment, there's really been a, a more uh, greater emphasis on the importance of having a good estate plan in place, both from um, efficiency in terms of people being able to step in, and as you mentioned, Jeff, in order to ultimately save money, whether that's money from uh, taxes, you know, whether that's money from people like me and attorneys, um, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, Jeff is going to read, uh, as you can tell, um, we had some problems with the connection, mm-hmm. Chuck. So Jeff's going to call us in on the uh, phone line, and we're going we're gonna to join him in just a moment. It, it, we tried it but it just wasn't connecting. Uh, And we are getting some questions and texts as well. And I will tell you, because of just the situation with the phones, you're better off texting. So I want to give out the phone number because, Chuck, you will take questions on trusts and wills, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay, good. So the phone number to call or the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, and I think you'd be better off texting. Uh, For the people on hold, Spencer, ask Ask what their questions are, and we'll transcribe them. The number is 799-1130. Give us a text. The Accident Mortgage Text Line, 414-799-1130. Thank you, Jeff Kowal. We got you back online. Sure. And, and sometimes things are lost in translation. Last week, we had a couple of uh, phone calls in. that were great calls. And uh, uh, try to be as precise as you can with the, with the uh, content, because it doesn't always get translated uh, the way you want it to, but... Uh, uh, so, so, Chuck, let's talk a little bit about uh, what do you have to be concerned with regarding estate planning. And in, in this first segment, I want to talk about that. Paul, we're still going to have the, uh, the business, the boss uh, segment. We're still going to have the sexy segment. Uh, we still want to talk about um, uh, blended families. So I think that's going to be a, a big issue. And we still want to talk about special needs. But, uh, Chuck, when, you look, when you're concerned about estate planning, uh, where do you go? It's more than just a will. Correct. And I, I think, you know, popular culture, whether it's, you know, the movies or, or television, you know, they always focus on the will. And, and I see that a lot with clients, uh, new clients contacting me. You know, the really focus for them is, well, I need a will or, I, you know, I have, my dad's in the hospital. I have his will. You know, how can I step in? And, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that a will is only uh, a small uh, component of an overall estate plan. And so I think from uh, incapacity gets undersold in terms of how much of a concern it should be. Um, it's important that you have a health care power of attorney and a durable power of attorney for, for finances to make sure that, you know, again, if you're not dead but you're out of commission, whether that's temporarily or, or permanently, that someone can step in and handle your affairs without uh, having to, again, go through a court process and retain an attorney to, to work you through um, getting that authority uh, granted by the court. So I think you've got to look at it from what happens in terms of incapacity, what happens at death, and then I think the other uh, misconception is a will merely means your wishes will be followed, which is great. That's a great starting point. But as a good estate planner, we're looking to, again, keep the cost down, do it as most efficiently as possible. So let's try to avoid court if possible, and a will in and of itself does not accomplish that. Can we have a trust and a will? That's a great question, Paul. Uh, Actually, with a good estate plan, if you have a trust, you're still going to want to have a a will in place. And, And the purpose of that additional will is to make sure that everything ultimately ends up into the trust, because the trust actually 
will serve as the document that outlines how assets are administered. You know, for example, the, I like to tell my clients, and I probably have said it so many times over 20 years, that my, my uh, returning clients are probably sick of my sense of humor. But, you know, it's kind of the situation of let's say we set up the trust in April of this year. We do a great job of retitling all your accounts and, and your real estate and, and getting everything to be consistent with the plan. And then, you know, that local bank or credit union, they're giving away free toasters. And you say, hey, I really need that toaster. You run over there. You open up an account. You totally forget you have this trust. And when you die, you end up having an account that's not in the trust. So we want to make sure that everything is treated the same way, um, and therefore the will, in effect, acts like a funnel, a pour-over into the trust. Hopefully we don't need to use it, but it's there if we need to. Hey, uh, I, I have to apologize. There are a lot of good attorneys out there, and we deal with a, a lot of good ones. So I should apologize for the snide remark I made. Uh, but uh, nonetheless, we, when you talked about health care power of attorney and some of the other um, uh, 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 rights or, or uh, that that you have personally to, that you're giving up the, with with the healthcare power of attorney and financial power of attorney. When do they kick in, and what can kind a of dispute come up when somebody says, "No, I'm not incapacitated," but somebody wants to make decisions on your behalf? Great question, Jeff. And ultimately, there's a distinction to be made between the healthcare decision making and the financial decision making. Uh, in Wisconsin, the Wisconsin a statutory document indicates that uh, the health care document does not kick in, so to speak, until two doctors certify that you're incapacitated. And, and that could be temporarily or that could be permanently. So, so for that document, you're, they're going to need to get two doctors who have personally examined you to, to sign off. On the so it's not just because side, a kid doesn't like, it's, it's not just that a kid doesn't like what you're doing with his money, it's that you have to have correct. two doctors say that. Correct. And, and so, you know, the, where, the, where there can be more wiggle room, if you will, is on the financial side, on the financial document. It's entirely based on how it's drafted. So some clients will um, set it up as immediately effective. And, and there is a danger to that. You know, if I name my, my brother as my power of attorney and uh, he has a, a copy of that document, in reality, he could use that document, access accounts, and I very well may not be aware of what he's doing. Um, by comparison, there's also the, uh, the second way to set it up, which would be making it immediately effective. So, uh, I, you know, the, I should say, excuse me, um, a springing document. So we just talked about the immediately effective. Uh, with a springing document, it's similar to the healthcare in that uh, one or maybe sometimes two doctors, depending on, on the client's wishes, need to sign off before the document comes into play. Um, and then after the fact, uh, one or two doctors would be required to deactivate it. But, you know, Jeff, you mentioned a good point there. This, I think another misconception is a durable power of attorney does not prevent the person from making poor decisions themselves, okay? So if my mother, who I'm guessing is listening, so, Mom, I apologize for this example, but it, it's what I use <laughs> with my clients here. Um, if my mom is totally making bad financial decisions and every mailing she gets from, you know, every charity out there she sends a check to, and I'm her power of attorney, yeah, I can step in and, and, and write her checks and deal with her investments and so on, but I can't draw a curtain down and prevent her from doing things herself, even if she has limited capacity. So, you know, in those situations, perhaps we are having to look to get a court order of incompetency to kind of, uh, in effect, stop her from doing things that may be against her financial interests. 
You know, that's a difficult subject, and, and we're going to have to go to a break pretty soon, but that's a very important one because it's an emotional time, especially when somebody, and we, uh, in the course of our practice, we run into that all the time. And somebody can be perfectly healthy one day, and then eventually, in, actually in a very short period of time, somebody who's making great financial decisions and very involved in that is not able to dementia, Alzheimer's, other, other reasons. Uh, so that's very important that you, you uh, spell that out. Um, I want to, uh, before we get to the break, there are a couple of things I want to make sure that we, um, that you go to the koalway.com. Uh, we have a great new website. There's a, we could do a virtual retirement review online uh, and a virtual investment review. If you have $750,000 or more in retirement assets, if you're close to or already in retirement, go right away to the koalway.com, the koal, K-O-W-A-L, the koalway.com. Uh, and schedule your review. It's a, it's a great website. You're going to enjoy going there. So if you can, the koalway.com. The other thing is that Chuck Stansbury is our guest today. Uh, he's with Schober, Schober, and Mitchell. Their phone number is 262-785-1820, 262-785-1820. But you can also contact him by going through our office. We use Chuck a lot with our clients. We, again, we like him. We trust him. Uh, good attorney. So Jeff will jump in and take a break. Like you said, it's break time on the Retirement Clinic, WIB in Madison, WISN in Milwaukee. And our guest, Chuck Stansberry, is with us the entire show. After this break, we're going to be joined by Aaron Kowal with the Boss Minute, Business Owner Savings and Security, hosted by Jeff Kowal with the Kowal Investment Group, the Retirement Specialist. I'm Paul Cronforce. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Retirement Clinic on WISN. I'm Aaron Kowal with the Boss Minute, business owner's savings and security. It's about owning your retirement, not just your business. While tax day may be pushed back, there is a good reason why self-employed should wrap up their 2019 taxes now. On April 10th, the Paycheck Protection Program opened to self-employed and independent contractors. But just because the loan window was open does not mean entrepreneurs can easily tap into funds. On Tuesday, Treasury and Small Business Administration released guidelines on documents independent contractors and self-employed people will need to apply. They will need to have their Schedule C of their 2019 tax return. Many independent contractors and self-employed people run their business income through their personal checking account. That's where the 2019 tax return comes in. Schedule C of an individual tax return shows income and loss from business you're running as a sole proprietor, listing your income, expenses, and contributions to employee benefit programs. You'll need any 1099 forms received over the course of 2019. Uh, they show your sources of income, and you need them to fill out your tax return. What banks will need will vary from one lender to another, but the following documents are a good starting point for independent contractors and self-employed. Completed income tax return for 2019, including Schedule C, forms 1099 miscellaneous to spell out the compensation you've received, Invoices, bank statements, or book of records that established you are self-employed and in operation on or around February 15th of 2020. Bank statements that show income paid to you. And if you have employees, Forms 941 and 940, which show Social Security and Medicare taxes withheld and payments toward unemployment. Any proof of health care and retirement plan contributions. At this time, the Small Business Administration is unable to accept new loan applications based on available appropriations funding, but lawmakers are working on terms to replenish the funds, and as soon as the political gamesmanship is done, we're anticipating that there will be more 
uh, money available f- to give independent contractors and self-employed time uh, to get their affairs in order and get the money that they need. Today's Boss Minute, that was Aaron Kowal for Business Owners Savings and Security. Welcome back, everybody. The Retirement Clinic continues in both Madison and Milwaukee, Madison's WIBA. We should also mention, Jeff, your locations in your world headquarters, Waukesha, you're in Middleton, that's Madison, Port Washington up in Osaki County, Phoenix, Arizona, and your latest uh, address is Racine. Uh, and in these times, Jeff, how are you meeting with clients? What's the best way to reach out? Well, we're meeting with clients. I had 39 meetings this last week, so almost 40 meetings this last week. All of them are virtual meetings, either by phone, by Zoom. Our office is very efficient with that. We're setting up new appointments with people who are unhappy with what they're doing. I uh, I have not made any plans to rebuild the retirement. We're having virtual retirement reviews, virtual investment reviews with our clients online. Again, you can go to the com. But it's been business as usual for us. And I mean, not as usual. I mean, we still care about our clients. We love them deeply and want to make sure that they have a successful retirement. So we're proactive. We're seeing our clients. We're talking to them on a regular basis. And what you said before, Jeff, too, some, you know, encouraging signs with the market finishing up for the week. Uh, you mentioned it at the beginning of the show. We're also talking with attorney Chuck Stansberry about estate planning, trusts, and wills. And you want to talk about astra- asset distributions uh, at death, a topic you wanted to dive into today. Sure. What are, Chuck, what are some alternatives to avoiding probate? It's a very interesting, uh, Jeff. You know, it used to be that if you wanted to avoid probate, your only option was to uh, set up a a revocable trust to hold your assets, and then the trust, uh, by its very nature, avoids the need for a court proceeding. As time has gone on, um, you know, the good news is it's a lot easier to avoid probate without um, the complexity of a trust. The bad news is, is many times people. Uh, try to do it yourself in terms of uh, structuring their estate plan and and, and set up beneficiaries, and that sometimes can have some unintended consequences. So there are ways through um, payable on death with the bank accounts and transfer on death with your real estate and your uh, non-qualified investments to get them to your uh, designated beneficiaries. Unfortunately, if if you do go that route, you know, you can run into problems. You know, for example, there's really no way to restrict the beneficiary's use of the money. So perhaps if, you know, if they're under 18, probably a bad idea, even if they're probably in their mid to early, you know, 20s, bad idea. Um, Or, you know, if they have uh, some credit issues, uh, you know, going through a bankruptcy, if, uh, uh, they are in an unhealthy marriage, and there's a concern about a divorce. So sometimes what's the most cost-effective to the individual uh, while they're alive isn't the, the best route to go you know, when we have the, uh, the benefit of hindsight after, after they're, they're deceased. Um, by comparison with a revocable trust, with that uh, sort of document, we are able to basically the sky's the limit in terms of how we structure the administration and distribution of assets. So whether that's um, outright distribution, whether it's retaining the monies in trust till a particular age is reached, or uh, what I'm seeing more clients do, even with uh, children that are um, financially sound and in healthy marriages, at least at the time, is setting up lifetime trusts for asset protection. And so, you know, the child can be in charge of their inheritance, but if they keep it within the trust, almost like a, you know, a moat or a wall, the inherited assets are protected from, you know, potential creditors that might be popping up later down the line. Oh, you bet. And there will be. You know, if you think, oh, no, everything's going to be just fine. Oh, no. Once somebody finds out 
that you have some money, they'll find a way to get at it or try to. I have two quick questions for you. You said we talked about alternatives to avoid probate. One is, do you always want to avoid probate? Is there sometimes a, a time when you want to have probate? And two, you mentioned about you know do-it-yourselfers, going online and doing your will. Really, what could go wrong with you doing it yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, right? <laughs> right. Yikes. And, and I guess I'll answer your, your second question first, Jeff. I would agree. I mean, I guess we are in uh, the day and age where with the advent of YouTube and the Internet, uh, you know, I sound like I'm 89 years old, like one of the old men up in the balcony on the Muppet Show in terms of criticizing kind of the do-it-yourselfers. But, you know, the, the problem that you run into is exactly what you, you've indicated, is that you run into unintended consequences, whether, you know, most commonly uh, the documents aren't executed uh, appropriately, and so that might make the document invalid. Um, also, without the guidance of a lawyer, that's very a well point. may not that's be, really um, yeah. you know, may not be considering things. And sometimes I think uh, clients are surprised. You not only have to think about your primary people in charge and the primary beneficiaries, but think it through, play out the string, and what happens if they're deceased, and what happens if your backups are deceased, and. Um, you know, so I, I think the, the do-it-yourselfers, you know, it's the type of thing, you know, I don't try to, um, you know, self-diagnose, you, know, uh, you know, a medical condition. I go to the professionals. I, I think, uh, you know, the legal community is, is very simple, professional who knows, you know, the ins and outs of, of the estate planning world. Um, you know, you're going to your question on probate. Yeah, probates aren't the worst thing in the world. I think, you know, the, the popular culture, people think, oh, my gosh, this is going to be some nightmare situation. And don't get me wrong, sometimes it is. Um, you know, yep. but, you know, where you have, you know, especially people where they're not leaving assets to children, you know, if, if they're leaving it to siblings or nieces and nephews or charity, you know, there maybe it really doesn't matter to them whether there's a probate or not. Um, I guess where I would find the probate to be most, um, the, you know, the least desirable option is, you know, where you have a situation where you think there may be a contest or a beneficiary who's not going to be happy. And, and the reason for that is, is with a will, you know, you have to give everyone an opportunity to object to it. Um, and uh, many times yeah. when, when people object, that, that can create the issues. Uh, let's move on to a couple other things, Chuck. Um, and again, if you want to call in with any phone calls, that's great. Paul, if you have a number, that would be good. Yeah, you know what? Well, the best way to do it would be texting us just because of the phones, and we can't put okay. more than two on at conferencing. So the Accident Mortgage text line, and I did get a text about a stimulus about a text about a stimulus check that I'll try to transcribe and and work in the show. Okay. Uh, but right, you can sounds- you can text us questions at 799-1130 the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line 414-799-1130. Chuck, I'd like to talk about the the maximum state tax limits now. Now you're talking about people with people with a significant amount of money. In my experience it doesn't matter if it's $10,000 or $20 million. You're always, there's always a potential for conflict, but let's talk about the maximum estate tax limits, and then let's talk a little bit about blended families. Sure. So currently, there is no Wisconsin state inheritance tax, so just or, or state estate tax. There was for a short period of time back during the uh, uh, second Bush uh, administration when they updated the limits, uh, Wisconsin had its own estate tax. And that's a little different. You know, to the south of us, Illinois has a, a state estate tax, and to the west in Minnesota, they do as well. Um, from a federal standpoint, as a result of Trump's uh, tax uh, 
updates a few years ago. The limits are right now, in my opinion, are, are fairly high, extraordinarily high for in some cases in terms of the fact that right now each spouse or each individual uh, is given an $11.58 million credit, okay? So basically until uh, a married couple has more than $23.16 million, there are no estate taxes owed, okay? The, the problem is that, number one, those tax rules are set to sunset at the end of 2025. So if um, in 2025, whomever is the president and the Congress at the time um, is unable to extend those limits, um, those taxes uh, might, limits might go down. The other thing I think everyone needs to keep in the back of their mind is, is obviously, you know, whether it's Wisconsin or New York or the federal government, what we're going through right now, um, you know, with that stimulus check that everyone's receiving and the small business bailouts, which are loaning money at pretty much almost free money, um, this is all going to have to be paid back at some point. And so I guess and from my standpoint, and I don't have any information to necessarily you know, say this is going to happen, but I would be concerned that down the line that whether it's a state income, a state, excuse me, a state tax or the federal tax limits uh, from an estate tax standpoint might be dropped because, you know, it's a very easy tax for the, for the governments to collect. They just basically wait until somebody passes away and then they get the, the, the taxes from a, from a, a rate standpoint, Federally, that's a 40% rate. That's very high, obviously. That's a chunk of change, yeah. Yeah, and, and keep in mind that before uh, the second George uh, Bush uh, was in office and, and started this, this increase in tax limits, it used to be a 55% federal rate. So think about that. More than half of every dollar, you know, 55 cents on the dollar, would be going to Uncle Sam at death. Um, and back then, the limits were $675,000. So you didn't even have to be a millionaire to have an estate tax worry. Yeah, if you look at this, that you say that the, the, the taxes are you know, uh, $23 million exemption, and then there are no estate taxes. But there still might be income taxes or other taxes. And you say, well, you can't just avoid it because I don't have $11 million or $23 million. No, no, there might be some other reasons, some special needs, some blended families, uh, and also there may be some income taxes that are due. The other part of it is that if it does revert, if it goes back to the old numbers, I guess I'm not asking you to, uh, to verify, but is it, you think it being a $5 million range or $3 million range, or it all depends on who's in at that time? Well, if if they just take the path of least resistance, which would be to allow the, the, the tax laws to sunset, there it would revert on a federal level back to the $5 million per individual. Now, those are indexed for inflation. So, you know, back before 2018 when the limits skyrocketed, we were at $5.49 million. So based on the time passing and inflation and so on, you know, it's possible we might be somewhere between 6 to $7 million if they just allow yeah. them to sunset. I guess what I'm more concerned about uh, from an estate tax standpoint is the, the president and then the Congress not only sunsets them, but they bring in a, a, a lower tax uh, limit. Um, again, looking back to what was done um, you know, previously and, and maybe bring it down to a million dollars or less, which is obviously a, a can really uh, impact the small business owner. Um, you know, if you, you have a family farm, you know, those assets – 
you know, in terms of valuation, can very easily reach that million, you know, million five, two million dollar uh, limit. And and the problem is, is how do you pay the tax? You don't have the cash because yes. it's all in the farm or it's in the business. And you know, that's the problem that you run into with poor planning. Hey, Jeff and Chuck, do you mind a text or two? We are, we asked for them, and we are now getting questions. Um, and I'll just shoot sure. one at you real quickly here. And we don't have a name, but we've got 414 area code texting in on the Acunet Mortgage text line 799-1130. We are talking with Chuck Stansberry and Jeff Kowal on the retirement clinic. So estate planning, trust, wills, that kind of thing. Here's the question. If I move my assets into a trust, does it change the way I pay my mortgage, taxes, or write checks? Great question. So the, the thing to keep in mind is there's two different types of trusts. What are commonly used to avoid probate uh, would be known as a revocable trust or a revocable trust. You know, basically it's depending on how you, uh, you choose to pronounce it. With that sort of trust, uh, there uh, is no separate tax identification number. So you use your Social Security number. The trust is, in effect, you. Okay. So there, um, although we like to get the bank's permission before we retitle real estate into the name of the trust, at the end of the day, they're not too concerned because ultimately you're still responsible for the mortgage. So with a revocable trust, there is no change. There's not an additional tax return. Um, You could still write checks the way you do when you retitle the accounts into the trust uh, that are bank accounts. You wouldn't have to order new checks. And even some of my trust clients choose not to even have the trust listed. You know, they feel that there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, a stereotype if they, someone sees that they have a trust that they think that they're dealing with yeah. a Vanderbilt or a Rockefeller. Um, by comparison, an irrevocable trust, which are generally used either for estate tax planning purposes or asset protection, like to protect against long-term care expenses, those are a lot different in that they have a separate tax ID number. Banks aren't as friendly when putting real estate in it. So it all depends on what type of trust you're, you're setting up. Okay, that answers that question. Jeff, any thoughts? Uh, I just want to get back. No, not on that. Chuck answered it perfectly. Uh, any other texts at this time? Otherwise, I, have, I want to go back to the estate uh, tax issue. Yeah, go back, go back to that, and then we'll grab some text okay. later on. When you, when you have, Chuck, when you have uh, clients that have $11 million or 22 or $23 million of assets, where do you go with that? Where do you start? Chances are they've done some planning to that point. What types of things do they have to do to update their planning at this point once they have accumulated a fair amount of wealth? I would guess, as you mentioned before, maybe in a farm, maybe in a business, or maybe just assets or an inheritance. I think, first off, we want to make sure that we're planning for the future. So with all of my clients that have substantial wealth, even if right this very moment we don't anticipate there to be an estate tax issue, I still want my documents to give us the flexibility uh, to deal with such an issue should it arise down the line. So in most of those situations, you're going to want to have a a, a trust-based plan because that allows you to provide that flexibility. Uh, And so that's one thing we want to keep in mind because I'd much rather have those provisions within the documents already so that if in 2025 the laws change and the clients come back and say, hey, Chuck, what do we what do we do? It's a lot nicer for me to be able to say, hey, don't worry about it. We we addressed that possibility back in 2020 when we when we did the document. So I think there it's just a a thoughtful uh, analysis of 
the assets and, and what you know what the likelihood of and, and the rate of appreciation would be on that. And then I think the other thing to keep in mind is I think Jeff, you mentioned it. Not all cr- assets are created equal from a taxation standpoint, being in terms of income tax. And so you know if you if you have qualified money in an IRA or a 401k. Um, you know that the, the 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 piper will have to be paid at some point. Uh, and now, with the the most recently you know enacted Secure Act, that's a lot less friendly to your children and grandchildren. Um, so I think we want to make sure we're looking at those assets, determining if we have to spend down assets, whether it's for long-term care or for whatever other purpose. You know, perhaps it's better to have the the parents take that tax hit. They might be very likely in a lower tax bracket at that point. Right. Maybe you look at a Roth conversion, um, or maybe you think of being a little bit more charitable. Um, you know, whereas with with investments that are not in an IRA or real estate, you know, when someone dies, there is what's known as a step-up in cost basis. So any potential un- Unrealized gain from that, you know, vacation home that has appreciated, you know, and been held in the family for years, that would be eliminated at death, which again is not true with an IRA. It's a great point regarding the Roth IRAs because chances are, you know, at the, at the age of our clients and, and uh, as they as they age, when they pass away, their kids are likely to be at their peak of their earnings, the highest income tax bracket. So if you can transfer some assets to them tax-free, if you could pay some in perhaps your lower tax bracket, that's a great planning strategy. How do you avoid some of the unintended beneficiaries, especially with somebody with significant wealth? I think you have to be able to look at your beneficiary situation honestly. Um, and candidly, and, and kind of, you know, the type of the the emperor has no clothes type scenario in that, you know, I know parents many times look at their children in, in the best light possible and, and maybe are willing to um, overlook some of, you know, maybe their marital difficulties, maybe some of their financial difficulties, and, and maybe even from a, uh, you know, a disability standpoint. So when we work with a client, we want to make sure that we're identifying, you know, obviously the beneficiaries, but you know, there is no requirement that every beneficiary is treated equally in terms of, you know, you could have one child who gets their money all at once and perhaps another, you know, is younger and maybe we don't want them to have full access to a later uh, a later age. And, and maybe one, whether it's because of them being on public benefits like Medicaid, or maybe again, you know, I, I'm thinking of a couple uh, uh, people I've encountered during my legal career, you know, uh, you know, if they would be given a check for $100, it probably would have just cleared the bank and they already thought of 10 ways to spend it. Um, and yeah. so I, I think you just have to be proactive and, and look at things with an honest assessment of, you know, what potential concerns might be out there. Hey, Jeff, we're going to sneak in with a quick break, but you call it the sexy segment, wealth management and preservation. You also said this whole show is one big sexy segment today. That's right. Once you've accumulated some wealth, and this is a pretty, pretty sexy show, I would say. It's about wealth. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, we're going to come back with the official sexy segment, which we do every week on the Retirement Clinic with our guest attorney, Chuck Stansberry. We'll also give you contact information. Jeff mentioned before, the thekowalway.com. Call the office at 262-522-4040. The Retirement Clinic is on WIBA Madison and WISM Milwaukee. We'll be right back.
We are back with the Retirement Clinic here at News Talk 1130 WISN. And that music, Jeff Kowal, and our guest, Chuck Stansberry. We've been talking about estate planning and trusts and wills. And Jeff, by way of background, this segment focuses on wealth management and preservation. That's right. The show is for everybody. This segment is for those with typically a million dollars or more. Uh, This whole show has been that way. We've only got about four minutes left, and I wanted to uh, have Chuck talk as much as he can about business issues, um, buy-sell agreements, key key man coverage. What are the types of issues that if you've been neglecting your uh, business planning, what are key issues that you have to address at this time? Well, and I'll tell you, Jeff, one of the things that I'm shocked uh, when I work with new clients uh, who, you know, are small business owners, and uh, you know, maybe it's not as big of an issue where it's a, a one-person shop or a husband and wife who are operating the business, but I am just amazed at the number of, of small businesses where there is no actual operating agreement. So two people are working together, you know, they're not related, or maybe they are, and, and they don't even have a, an agreement that outlines what happens, uh, you know, in terms of if one of them wants out, uh, you know, they might have registered the name with the state of Wisconsin, but they haven't done anything more than that. And, you know, they're a little bit uh, overly, they end up being pretty concerned when I tell them, hey, you know, all that liability protection that you thought you had with your corporation or your LLC, you know, if you don't have an operating agreement uh, and aren't maintaining corporate uh, formalities like, uh, you know, uh, monthly, or excuse me, annual minutes, you could really be at risk. Um, So that's one issue. I I think also, as you mentioned. That's a great point. And again, you think about that with no operating agreement, really, what could go wrong? Exactly. And, and then, you know, the, the other problem, and again, this relates back to our commentary on the do-it-yourselfers out there, is, you know, let's say you do have a basic legal Zoom or fill-in-the-blank uh, uh, operating agreement. You really have to address, as you mentioned, Jeff, the buy-sell. And, and what that merely means is if I'm in business with my brother and I die, what happens to my 50%? Does it go to my wife? Well, perhaps my brother doesn't want to be in business with my wife. Or maybe my wife just wants the money. Uh, you know, and doesn't want to be involved in the day-to-day. So without a contractual agreement that says what's supposed to happen in terms of death or uh, disability or, you know, the, the great equalizer, one just gets fed up and says, I want out, um, you know, you end up litigating those issues in the courts, and those can be pretty nasty and very expensive uh, actions to, to be a part of. So I, I think that's, you know, one thing we want to make sure that all business owners uh, have in place. And then, as you mentioned, uh, depending on who's running the business, who's really the, the driving force of keeping that thing a, a successful and profitable entity, what happens if they're out of commission, they're disabled, or even worse, they die? Um, do we have uh, monies available to keep the business going until uh, a new successor can be groomed? So I, I think these are all issues that, uh, you know, I, I joke in, in our office, I, I tend to get the more complicated matters sometimes because I, I, and actually those are the type I enjoy. We need to be able to address everything. And, and again, that may not happen in just one hour conference. It might be a progression, but, um, you know, you really do yourself and your family. And then with a small business owner, your employees a disservice when you're not walking through uh, each of these issues individually. Yeah, can you in 30 seconds, can you give us one, uh, perhaps it either went really well or one that didn't do so well? Sure, I'll give you an example. I had a a situation and it goes... 
to a to the blended family scenario where um, there was a second marriage and the individual had a will and a trust. The only unfortunate thing is is that Wisconsin's a marital property state, and so he and his second wife didn't have a marital agreement that said how that business should be classified. So although when he died, he wanted, according to his trust, for his kids to step in and receive the business, well, the wife, um, you know, was within her rights uh, under Wisconsin law to say that she was entitled to half. Um, and so that obviously uh, was a very messy situation, and not only messy from a financial standpoint, but, you know, I just as a quick aside, a good estate plan not only is tax efficient, it minimizes cost, but we still want to have the beneficiaries, the family, still talking when Thanksgiving and Christmas and the other holidays come around. And so where we have conflict, usually conflict arises where things have not been reduced to black and white provisions. So we want to make sure that we don't have that um, in order so that, you know, the next generation are still uh, being, uh, you know, uh, friendly moving forward. I think that's what separates you from a lot of other attorneys or from a lot of others, that you're sensitive to emotional and family issues, not just the legal aspects of it. And Chuck Stansberry, our guest, when we come back, Jeff, let's give out all the contact information for people that want to follow up, talk to you about retirement planning, talk to Chuck about their estate plan, about wills and trusts. Great segment today. And there's more coming up as we continue on both WIBA Madison and WISM Milwaukee. This is the Retirement Clinic with Jeff Kowal. We are back on WISN's Retirement Clinic. Not much time left, only a minute in the show. So we thank Chuck Stansberry, Attorney Chuck Stansberry. How do I reach out to you? What's your number, Chuck? My telephone number is uh, 262-785-1820. And again, as Jeff mentioned, we have offices in New Berlin, Oconomowoc, and Racine. But my clients are spread out throughout southeastern Wisconsin. I'd be happy to to chat with you and and, uh, discuss any estate planning concerns that you might have. Chuck, have a great weekend. And Jeff Kowal, the final 30 seconds, how do we get in touch with you? If you're close to already in retirement, if you're interested in a virtual meeting, a retirement review, an investment review from our award-winning retirement specialist, rebuild your retirement, go to thekowalway.com, thekowalway.com if you have $750,000 or more in retirement assets, or call us at 262-522-4040, or thekowalway.com. Great show today, guys. Chuck, Jeff Kowal of the Kowal Investment Group, the retirement specialist, and again, thekowalway.com. Have a great weekend, guys. Thank you. Thank you, too, Paul. Appreciate your time. It is now 11 o'clock. News up ahead at WISM Milwaukee.